Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along on what is a bitterly, bitterly cold day and a reminder that the nationwide status yellow snow and ice warning is still in place and it remains in place until noon today as this cold snap is moving across the country, bringing these wintry conditions. There's also strong winds. And as I mentioned there in the news, the possibility of thunder and uh, lightning. Met Aaron are saying that the wintry showers of hail, sleet and snow, as well as strong and gusty winds and ice forming on the roads uh, will and can make driving conditions treacherous in some uh, areas. We've got an unstable polar maritime air mass that moved in over the country last night. But because there are very strong winds out there, there's a wind chill factor that is making it feel absolutely bitterly, bitterly cold. Uh, Accumulations of several centimetres of snow uh, is forecast, but that was, it's mainly for the northwest. I don't know how much accumulation of snow you have in your area, even though I did hear there are some parts of North Cork where they were out building snowmen this morning, so there must be a fair accumulation of snow uh, for that. Uh, Emer Flood of Met Aaron says it's going to remain very cold, very windy uh, today, and there will be that continued risk of snow showers then throughout uh, the day. This polar maritime air mass that moved in over the country is quite unstable and because of the unstable nature of it, the meteorologists are saying we could see hail and lightning at times throughout uh, today. Bitterly cold temperatures will hover between 3 and 4 degrees but as I say much colder because of that brisk northwesterly uh, wind. But the good news is if it's too cold for you today, the conditions are set to improve tomorrow. So it's likely we've got a one snow day. And I'm sure for the children who are all on mid-term, they'll wake up this morning if they're not already out of the beds. They'll be delighted to see a little bit of snow on the ground. John Paul taking your calls at 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp to 086 2103103 and I couldn't believe this morning I woke up to see first of all when I woke it wasn't snowing and then very quickly within about 10 minutes I looked out the window and realised what's that oh my goodness it's snowing then of course switched on the radio waiting for the news uh, to kick in and then to hear the devastating news that Russia launched uh, an all-out invasion of Ukraine by land, by air and by sea. It's been described as the biggest attack by one state 
on another state in Europe since World War Two, and obviously, with that in all-out invasion last night, it was the the West's worst fears. They were trying to keep up diplomatic uh, talks. There was the fear factor there that it was going to happen, but everyone hoped that through some kind of talk and diplomacy and negotiation that they could pull the Russian President Vladimir Putin back from the brink even though in fairness to Joe Biden in America they were predicting it from last weekend they they were saying it is going to happen They whatever kind of insider knowledge they had it was almost as if they knew Vladimir Putin had already given the nod. Now Vladimir Putin said that his aim is to demilitarise and denazify the Ukraine. Now denazify was a new word on me. I had to Google because I'd never heard of it before and seemingly denazify is to remove Nazi influence from the Ukraine and I don't know how much Nazi influence remains in place in the Ukraine it was a word that was used obviously a lot after the Second World War but certainly it's a word I haven't heard in any I don't think I've ever heard anybody use that word before that's part of what he said is his reason for this all out invasion the Russian troops attract Ukraine from Belarus as well as from Russia and obviously from the annexed Crimea Ukraine's border guard said last night uh, missiles rained down on Ukrainian cities. Explosions were held near the capital, Kiev. Reports of multiple casualties in the border areas and the Ukrainian president appealing now to the world leaders to impose all possible sanctions saying that President Putin wanted to destroy the Ukrainian state. The EU will now, of course, they'll meet today and the talk is they'll impose new sanctions, things like freezing Russian assets, uh, halting access to its bank to the European financial market and obviously then targeting Kremlin interests over what in the EU are saying a barbaric uh, attack. The US President Joe Biden said Washington and their allies will do similar. They will impose severe sanctions and Central European countries already starting preparations to receive potentially, potentially hundreds of thousands of people who uh, will start to flee the Ukraine. And just before I came on air, just trying to get the very latest and you can already see there are photographs coming from Obviously, the airport has closed. There's no flights in or out of uh, the Ukraine. So that means anybody trying to get out of Ukraine will have to get out over land. And there's already photographs coming through from the train stations and people very distressed just trying to get out. And there's queues at gas, sta- at filling stations, people trying to fill up their cars, those that have uh, cars. And also now starting to come in, the first of the casualties are being uh, reported. And it's the loss of life at the end of uh, the day. How many people will die because of what Vladimir Putin decided to do in the early hours of this morning? Already about 40 people have been killed so far in the Russian attacks on the Ukraine. It's just, it's it's hard to believe, isn't it? We're coming out of a war with a virus, finally seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. And there's almost like a feeling, are we heading straight into some kind of a world uh, war? And our thoughts are completely with the people of the Ukraine and I'm very conscious of and aware that we would have a lot of people from Ukraine who have come to Ireland and have made Ireland their homes and for them it must be dreadful what is unfolding in their home country. You could imagine being overseas 
and you're hearing that your home country has been attacked while you've, you your parents might be there, your siblings, your friends, other family members. It just and you would feel so hopeless, wouldn't you? You really would feel so hopeless. So, as I say, hopefully now very strict sanctions will be imposed. I mean, you would hope one way would be to try to freeze, uh, you know, which is what the EU are, are saying they'll do to freeze Russian assets and to starve Putin of the money that he will need because the one thing about war, war costs a lot of uh, money. So if you could try to freeze him in some way so he doesn't have the money in which to invest in the war. And my big fear, and it was always, you know, when we were looking at the tensions and we were seeing this build, is, you know, we haven't had a world war since the Second World War in the 1940s. And are we now in uh, tw- the 2020s heading into another world war? How different this world war would be because of the nuclear power capabilities and that certainly puts the fear of God into me. So our thoughts this morning very much with the people of the Ukraine. Some of your thoughts on what is unfolding in the Ukraine. Eddie said vested interests has got us where we are today. Ukraine have been asking for help uh, and the world were just talking. They didn't offer any practical help while we worry now about energy and energy costs going up because of what's happening in the Ukraine. Shannon LNG had tried to produce energy but the plant wasn't allowed to expand due to objections over the years. If they were allowed to go ahead, we wouldn't be in such a situation worrying about energy prices today in this country says Eddie. John says I wonder what will happen at Shannon Airport the Americans have flown in and out of Shannon for years they use Shannon as a fueling stop will we see an increase in military landings in Shannon and if we facilitate a war machine can we really call ourselves uh, neutral. Well the thing is uh, Joe Biden is adamant that he won't be sending troops uh, to the uh, Ukraine. Now I know there are American military in the Ukraine but they're more for logistics and to offer advice but Joe Biden has been very clear they'll put economic sanctions in place but he certainly is unwilling to send American troops to fight Russian forces in Ukraine and it's going to be pretty much the same for now certainly from the European uh, countries because NATO can't intervene either because the Ukraine is not a member of uh, NATO so what all of the European countries are doing at the moment it's all going to be economic uh, sanctions and they'll hope that economic sanctions will actually work. Pat in Moy, thanks John for your call. Pat in Moy says when I woke this morning and heard that unfolding news story of what was coming out of Ukraine. I had to check the calendar. Was it 1922 or was it 2022? We have had the world saying we will freeze the assets of the Russians, but we should simply take away their assets. We can't have World War Three in 2022. We'll just have to live with higher prices, says Pat in Formoy. And Tommy in Mitchellstown says, I agree with you, Patricia, regarding nuclear warfare it really is worrying because if they realise a nuclear attack will have a much wider effect on all of us while the world is excited at coming out of a pandemic following two years of society mainly closed down now we have this unfolding before our eyes it is so so disheartening I agree with you 100% Tommy thank you for your call John Paul taking those calls 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 
Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now, most industries are now suffering damaging staff shortages because of an exodus of foreign workers quitting the country because of high prices are not coming at all because of issues with work visas. Mary O'Callaghan has been running a cafe and delicatessen business in Mitchellstown for over 30 years and she joins me to outline the problem her business is facing, recruiting and retaining staff. Good morning to you, Mary. Hi, good morning. Uh, and thank you for taking our, our call. Now, your biggest issue is trying to hire chefs. Talk to That's me right. about just how bad it is at the moment. It, we're at crisis point in our restaurant anyway. We're here 34 years. We've never had such a problem. Somebody would always turn up or somebody that you could train up. But at the moment, there's absolutely nobody at all. Um, there seems to be a dreadful shortage. They're not training enough. And the biggest problem is cannot get them in from abroad. We've been in contact with two guys in, one is in Qatar, one is in Abu Dhabi. They've both been recommended to us by somebody that we know. Um, they're working in five-star hotels. They're dying to come to Ireland and we've been told it'll take up to five months to get a visa for them to come in. Yeah, Meanwhile, was... we're looking at reducing our hours, reducing our offering to our wonderful customers. Um, not this week, uh, but in two weeks' time, we'd have to reduce our hours and reduce our offering. That's just so, so uh, frustrating. Because uh, I didn't, I, I knew there was an issue with the working uh, visas and I was tr- trying to do a bit of research yesterday on it. And the Department of Enterprise themselves admit that working visas are taking 21 weeks to process and they've about 10,500 applications delayed. I mean, that simply isn't good enough. It's not, but you know, the the biggest, well, one of the the issues that I have with it is that you have to advertise your vacancy on a government website that nobody looks at, that when you Google uh, jobs in Ireland, it doesn't come up. We have been advertising on Facebook, on Indeed, on jobs in Ireland, and on our Instagram page since Christmas, and they will not accept that as a valid advert, advert. We have to be on their website. That is for 28 days. So that's a month gone straight away before you can even Apply. send in the details. Yeah. So oh. if they could get rid of that, it would help. And how how many chefs do you normally employ? We would normally have four. And how many are you looking for now? We're looking for three. Well, we're looking for two, but we expect that um, when we open up fully, we will take a third person on because um, we've just been under such pressure since this whole COVID thing started. So we're looking for three, but we would be very happy with two at the moment. And we're simply in this country not training enough chefs? Um, obviously not. Uh, I mean, uh, it's, they're, they're not coming, and we actually, in, we even contacted CIT, and apparently they're. Um, tutor sent out an email saying that we were looking for somebody even to work Friday and Saturday and we got no response from that. So they're obviously not um, training enough. Yeah, so you, you've gone to great, great lengths. And the one thing about a chef in your type of, of business, it isn't as, the hours aren't as antisocial as, say, a chef working in a hotel. No, it's all days. Um, at the moment it would be, well at the moment we're only open from Wednesday to Saturday, but in 
the good days, we were open six days a week, no bank holidays, no Sundays, and um, no working after six o'clock in the evening time. So, like, that, they, they would be very attractive to people in the hospitality industry. Have you employed many overseas staff and chefs in the past? Um, oh, we have, yeah. At the moment, we have two, two overseas with a Hungarian guy and we have a girl from Latvia. But um, in the last, maybe 10 years ago, at one point, we had 10 different nationalities working here. I got you like the United Nations. <laughs> we were absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it, um, but but the... But it, Spain, um, yeah, sorry, Patricia. During the pandemic, a lot of them went, uh, for obvious reasons, went home. They obviously did. They're gone anyway. They're just not out there at the moment. No, no. Uh, so that's why we need to go to um, outside the EU. And these guys who train in the like Sri Lanka and India are very highly trained. They're trained in English. They have perfect English. Um, they seem to be working in five-star hotels in the Middle East and they're dying to get over here. So why not give them a two-year visa? And um, give them a chance, and it will get out, get out, get us out of a hole. And this is happening right across the all of the hospitality industry, isn't it? I mean, you're not oh, you're not so, in yeah. a unique position. No, no. If you walk to Cork City, you'll see uh, adverts up in pretty much all restaurants and bars looking for staff. Yeah, and in thirty-four years, you've never had a situation like this before. Never. Never. Um, uh, we've never had to reduce our hours or reduce our offering because of um, staff shortages. Um, and we'll definitely have to take some action um, in two weeks' time because we can't keep going the way we are. And like, we have a great business in Mitchellstown. We have very loyal customers um, and we have wonderful staff. But we just need chefs. And I know it's, a, it's, a, it's very much a family business as well. And, and your son is a chef, isn't it? My son is our head chef. He trained in Waterford, got a scholarship to Rhode Island. Wow. And he worked in Australia and he worked in Cork. And my daughter is the general manager. And um, she trained with Shannon and she worked in the Dorchester and in the Lanesborough in London. And they're both um, so work- a- they're working beside you at the moment. They are, yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm very lucky to have them. Is it putting pressure on you, Mary? I mean, 34 years on, I take it you're at the stage where you should be thinking about putting your feet up. Well, before this uh, thing kicked off, I was working three and a half days. Now I'm working five, five and a half days. I start at half past five. I'm lucky if I get out of place before um, four o'clock. And I have... I am in my twilight years. I would love to be able to get back to three and a half. Years. I know, I know. You don't, you don't, you don't want to give up completely, but just to be able no, to, no, no. to be able to, to relax. And I take it then on the staff that you do have. It's, it's. I mean, because you're busy because of the reputation that you have a fantastic reputation. You're, you're, you're a great uh, deli and cafe. Is it putting pressure then on the existing staff? Well, that's what, of course, it is, and that's what we're afraid of. Like we don't want to burn those staff out either and where they'll say listen they're working us into the bone here and I'm going to get out of here so we're very conscious of not overloading the current staff that we have they all work hard um, but we just need to be careful with them as well Okay so very much the Department of Enterprise they they need to ease up on the way they're doing their their 
work visas. But they also, if, they, if they're admitting that they have 10,500 applications delayed, they need to be putting extra staff in. Of course they do. And I, I read there that the, the um, passport office is increasing their staff by 100 people. Yeah, like, yeah. Leo Vesson needs to close his finger and get extra staff and um, give priority to um, the hospitality industry and indeed the building industry as well because um, they're stuck for staff. And we have a housing crisis. We're not crisis. about uneducated and unskilled people. We're talking about people who are highly educated, highly skilled and who have perfect English. And we're also not talking about taking jobs from the Irish. You know, the way you always get that argument. Oh, why don't you employ Irish people? There are just not people there to employ. No, they're not. No. I mean, we would love Irish staff. And um, that's why we've been on advertising on our Instagram page and on our Facebook page and in Indeed. Um, but we had one application uh, from a guy and he wasn't interested in working in a cafe. He wanted to work in a five-star hotel. That's now advertising pretty regularly since Christmas. So Irish staff aren't—they're not either not interested or um, they're not there. Yeah, it's not, for, it's not for the want of trying anyway, that's for sure. All right, yeah. Mary, listen, uh, good luck with it. I hope you do get your, your chef sooner rather than uh, later. And thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us today. Okay. Good morning to you. That's okay, our bye pleasure. Bye bye. It's just it's so frustrating. That's Mary O'Callaghan, uh, runs a cafe and delicatessen business in uh, Mitchellstown. And you know, she's right. We need to be. Our homegrown chefs is what we need as well. We need to be training more people and getting more people into the industry. But it's, it doesn't go back to as well that whole argument again about people taking on a trade and that when we're looking at our young people who are like the leaving Sir class of uh, 2022 who are already focused on the written exam and the point system and getting into college and getting degrees. And we need to, we need to, I think we need to look at that model again and try to get young people to see that they are fantastic fantastic jobs and opportunities out there by going into a trade, be it, you know, something like going chefing, becoming an electrician, becoming a plasterer, because as Mary said, the building industry are under massive press pressure with staff shortages. We have a housing crisis. The only way we're going to get out of the housing crisis is to build more houses. The only way we can build more houses is if we have more workers. And, you know, you talk to any builder and they'll tell you the problems that they are having recruiting and then ret- re- uh, retaining staff something has to be done about it for sure. 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls text WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie New research launched this week by National Children's Charity Bernardo's found that 22% of Munster parents often worry about not being able to provide food for their children with nearly 3 in 10 people in Ireland saying they've witnessed child food poverty at first hand to discuss the situation. I'm joined by Susan Connolly who is the CEO of uh, Bernardo's. Good morning to you Susan. Good morning. And you're welcome uh, to the programme. For families on fixed or low incomes can saving on food sometimes be the only option in order to cover the other bills, like making sure that the rent is paid, making sure the heat is paid, the electricity is paid? Well, it's it's a really stark situation, isn't it, for, for some children and families in Ireland today. And what what 
parents have actually told us, and, and, and parents in Munster have told us, that they're, they're actually cutting back on spending on electricity, transport, and medical bills to afford food. So this is 51% of the, of the parents who, com, who were part of the survey in Munster. And I think that's because they know they have to prioritise food but what they are for their children. But what, what we also know is 11% of the parents in Munster told us that they, that they, were, they were skipping meals themselves. So, so that is really, really concerning. Uh, yeah, the parents will cut back on t- on having dinner to make sure that their children have yeah, food. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and that's just that that shouldn't be the case, you know, it, at all in in a country as as wealthy as Ireland. We should be supporting families on low incomes and family families who rely on social welfare to ensure that they have what the money they need to feed their children and to meet the basic standards of living. What are the long-term effects of a child living in food poverty, Suzanne? Yeah, well, what the research highlights really is that, that people, first of all, who'd witnessed child food poverty firsthand, who were part of this rep- representative sample, what they said to us is they could see what we know ourselves in Bernardo's, which is it, it, it has an impact on children's physical development and their social emotional development. As, and as well as that, it can really affect children in, in school because it can be very hard to to concentrate at school is, is if, if your tummy isn't full, you know, or, or if, you've, if you haven't been given nutritious food. Because it's not, not just about having bulk food, it's also having fruit, vegetables and protein to make sure that, you're, that, that your body is getting the nutrients that it needs. So one of the things that's really important is that, is that the government ensures that families have access to, to affordable food as well, you know, that locally can be accessed. So cause we know, Bernardo, some families are needing to, to go to maybe to, to shops, which are great to have locally, but sometimes it's more expensive than, than they could have in, in a retail outlet that, that has more affordable food prices. So there is an issue of accessibility then to, to cheaper food as well for some families. Yeah, and I think, you know, for people living on social welfare who are relying on, you know, the money coming in on Thursday, it's hard to believe that maybe on Tuesday or Wednesday there actually might be no food in the house. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. And we, in, in, in our services in Cork, and, and, you know, we have services in, in Knocknaheeny, in, in Mead Street, and, and in Yall and in Mahan. And we do have food parcels available for families so they can access those very easily. And sometimes we also would have vouchers available for families so that, that if they're running out of money, at, you know, early on in the week, they were able to say, look, the, you know, we, we can't support you. Particularly when families are looking for fresh food, you know, and milk and dairy products and a bit of protein for their children. But it's it's a tough situation that the families are needing to rely on those on yeah, those forms yeah. of support. And any of us that have kids, you know, it's so hard to keep food in the fridge or food in the cupboard. I mean, if you've got teenagers. Well, exactly, exactly. That's exactly the case. So, so, so as, as anybody with teenagers know that, that as they're growing, developing, they get very hungry and they yeah. need a lot of, of, of both carbohydrate but also protein and fruit and vegetables and the last thing you want is, is children in the family knowing that their parents are under pressure financially thinking well I can't eat as much as I'd like to because I don't want mum and dad to be worried about the, the fridge being empty again so yeah. what, you know, what we're calling on the government to do is, is to make a hardship fund available through the community welfare officer so that people can access that if they need to be at this time where there's rising costs of inflation are teachers seeing children in schools turning up uh, hungry, Suzanne? Well, we certainly know that, that, that in Bernardo's, you know, where in the parts of the country where we're able to, to have um, breakfast clubs and after-school clubs, that the teachers do recognise the difference that makes for children. You know, they can really see that the children who are attending the, 
these are the breakfast club, they really come in to school with a balance in their step and it, meets, it makes a real difference, their ability to concentrate and their, their ability to, you know, to just do well in school. And we are really appreciative of, in, of the fact that the government has listened to what's needed and it has rolled out the hot school meals programme to a further 35,000 children in this budget, the budget for this year. But it needs to continue to do that and not just do it in DASH schools, also in non-DASH schools. Yeah, and we're hearing that we haven't yet reached peak inflation and that food prices are likely to rise further. And of course, all eyes are on Ukraine this morning. So we know what that's going to do to uh, inflation. Uh, That's going to push even more families, the ones who are on the border at the moment, borderline of food poverty. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It could potentially very much do that. Now, the only the only saving grace we have, well, it's an awful situation was happening in, in Ukraine. But from our point of view, in terms of the, the fact that although it's very cold today, we are coming in hopefully in the next month or so or two months into, into milder weather, which hopefully will reduce the need for, for, for costs in relation to the extra concentration of food. But in the meantime, we still probably have a month or so of winter. So I know the government did do something to address this issue by having the universal energy rebate for all households. One of the things we'd like the government to think about is really th- is how it can target it to families most in need because as you'd know from conversations you would have had yourself, not everyone needs that hundred euro. Yeah, but some yeah. families could do with more, a lot more than hundred euro. Would you have preferred if that had been targeted differently? Yes, absolutely. And the government said they didn't they, they couldn't think of a means of doing that and but by doing it quickly I wonder about that. I I wonder, could they not have done it through the Community Welfare Office, for example? Could that not have been done in a way that would have been able to be targeted towards the families who, who particularly need it? And I think the government's intention was very good, but we all know that not everyone needed that €100. Euros. And, it's, and so, it's 200 now. It's two, it's 200 that gets paid. Somebody's saying, when, when does that uh, electricity rebate get paid? It's, uh, we still haven't got a date, but we're expecting it oh, to well, be paid. Oh, I'm sorry, I hadn't realised. That's great. That's yeah, really it's, it's, it's 200. Uh, it'll, it's due to be paid in, in March. And I imagine that there will be, hopefully, some kind of a campaign where families that do receive it, that don't need it, will be able to, will, will just themselves pass it on to charities and they might even consider your good selves at Bernardus. Well, absolutely. And we'd make sure then that that, that, that that gets to the families who need it. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Listen, you're doing great work. Uh, keep flying the flag, uh, Suzanne. And thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning Take to care. you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Suzanne Connolly, who is the CEO of uh, Bernardo's. And, you know, I know um, certainly on this programme, John Paul is more at the cold face of it than I am. But we would, you know, it certainly doesn't happen every week, but we have... It, um, I think it, probably since the last year, I think we've seen more of it than we've ever seen before on the programme, would be contacted by families on like that, either on maybe a Tuesday or a Wednesday due to get their money on Thursday or Friday and literally no food in the cupboard and uh, ringing us to see if we can advise them. Can we help them? Can we point them in the direction? Now, who's come to our aid so many times has been Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners and, you know, we, we step back and pass out phone pass along phone numbers and she gets involved and, and helps the families out. But I mean, there are more and more families going to places like Suzanne talking about in Bernardo's. They give out, they have food parcels as well. And we have more and more of those organisations. And I know Vincent de Paul do fantastic work uh, along with Katrina and the gang at Cork uh, Penny Dinners. But with inflation, f- we know inflation hasn't yet peaked. So we know that the food prices, well, for the rest of us,
who have money in our wallets when we're going shopping we're seeing how food prices are increasing all of the time if you're on a very very fixed income with little or no flexibility on ways of saving suddenly you go in to do your supermarket shop that normally you get for 80 euro or whatever it is and suddenly that's creeped up to 90 euro where does the extra 10 euro come from you have to cut back somewhere else 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp to 0862103103 when I was speaking with Mary O'Callaghan and the problem that they're having with chefs and lack of uh, chefs some of your thoughts in on that one listener says if restaurants and hotels are looking for staff why not get on to the Department of Social Protection and take the young people off the dole and train them I've been looking for a job but I can't travel too far it would have to be in the town where I live we'll keep looking because there certainly are lots and lots of job vacancies out there at the moment hopefully you might find something that will suit you Hi Patricia I was listening to Margaret O'Callaghan speaking to you and how she can't get chefs and she's giving out because the government is not processing people's details for the work de- for the work visas fast uh, enough the Irish chefs are only doing what her own son has done he should have stayed at home to help ah you misunderstood what she said she was talking about where her son has gone, has gone to train her son is back working with her he's her head chef and she said she'd be lost without him and her daughter is the manager but her daughter went away and trained as well over the years and has come back but she said she'd be lost without the two of them so her son is very much uh, working by her side and then Kristen from Moy says Patricia the reason there are no chefs about the number one reason is we lost the national training catering college in this country. Secondly, the cost of rent simply too high in Ireland and the cost of living is too high and getting higher. Chris says, I spent 30... two years as a chef I worked all over the world also people coming from outside the EU as chefs I find in the main they come to Ireland to get citizenship and then they run off to the UK the building industry is the same two taxes are too high cost of living is too high and people can't afford uh, rent this country is heading downhill fast a lot of European people who went home during the pandemic many of them have stayed at home because they have better living conditions now in their own home than they have here our cost of living is simply too high and that's from Chris in Formoy You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Some of your thoughts coming in Morning Patricia hope you're keeping well um, I am thank you very much I was so saddened says this texter to hear Russia had declared war on the Ukraine could we ask people please says this texter to pray for them regardless of your faith pray Anyway, the suffering that they are facing is unimaginable for us over here and we are lucky and privileged in Ireland. No matter how much we give out about the country, we are lucky and privileged and uh, many other countries uh, we and like us, we simply can't appreciate it at all what they must be going through this morning. Thanking you, Patricia. Stay safe and uh, well. And uh, the same back to you. So yeah, prayers, whatever. Whoever your God is, uh, pray that it will that, that, that it will end quickly and uh, without loss any more loss of life because we're already getting reports in of uh, loss of life. Now some of your comments 
and what we've been talking about uh, this morning on the programme. And in particular, we've got a couple of people picking up on my interview with Suzanne Connolly, CEO of Bernardo's. And Suzanne was talking about food poverty and food poverty with children and talking about families that Bernardo's will be working with where the parents are going hungry. They, they want to make sure that the children have enough to eat so a parent will eat less and, you know, will then lie to the child. Oh, I've already had my dinner. There's your dinner. And there are parents all over the country uh, doing that. That's prompted a number of people to comment. Pat says the imbalance in this country is just so bad. Figures came out last week showing that two thirds of people in this country are planning on at least two foreign holidays this year. The situation we are not giving the problem in this country is we're not giving everybody a living wage. A basic wage is simply not good enough i.e. the minimum wage that a lot of people live on. People need a living wage. We need to cop on in this country. We are living in a two-tiered society. Thank you for that uh, Pat. And during my chat with Suzanne, we spoke about the energy rebate, the electricity rebate that we are every single household in the country is due to get it. I'm still waiting for an exact date and I don't know if we're going to get an exact date or not. Uh, it's It got increased to €200 Euro inclusive of VAT and the rebate will be automatically paid to electricity account holders. Now we're told it's going to be in the March-April billing period and if you're living on your own in a small house and you don't use €200 Euro worth of electricity, then anything that's left over will be carried over to the following, you know, the following two months bill. So every every household in the country will get the €200. Euro. And Suzanne, when I was asking Suzanne about it, she feels therein lies the problem that it should have been more targeted. Now, the government said they did look at, was there a way that they could means test it? Was there a way that they could look at giving it, say, to people who are an under... €30,000, whatever it was. They looked at all different options, but they realised that if they complicated the scheme in any way, then it would take longer to get the money out. And they, their whole plan, because they were talking about this before Christmas, their whole plan was to get the money out as quickly as possible. I think initially they had hoped that it would be landing in people's accounts for kind of February for that first bill that comes in after Christmas. But we know that that hasn't happened. So it's now looking like it will be the March-April billing period of your whoever you get your electricity from, you'll see uh, €200 taken from it. But the problem with that is the fact it goes to every household that some people complained about. If you have a holiday home, if you have an extra house, your holiday home will also receive the €200. People see an unfairness in that. And then, as Suzanne was saying, people who are on very high earnings who don't need the €200 they will also receive it as well. Even though I've already seen some of the government ministers, I think Michael McGrath was probably the first government minister to come out and say he's going to be donating his to charity. And that's what I was saying to Suzanne. I wonder, will we see more and more of that for the people? There will be some, not all. The majority of people need that €200, but for some they won't. And will they pass it on to charity? Joan said, people always seem to mention and talk about social welfare social welfare recipients when it comes to giving them any kind of a handout. But I feel from working in a shop it's the families with two jobs the families with two jobs and a mortgage who have to pay for everything no freebies 
they are the ones who are the worst hit at the moment. I don't know any family that doesn't need the 200 euro. We're all struggling at the moment with the high cost of living, says Joan, who says up the workers. And then John Paul took a call from Emma, who again of very similar view, uh, saying, listened to Suzanne from Bernardas mentioned the community welfare officer and that people, they're hoping there will be some additional funds through the community welfare officer. But Emma said, if you go to community welfare officer, many of us will find out we're not entitled to anything because they look at income and earnings and the income coming into the house. They don't look at anything else. They don't look at all of the outgoings. And Emma said, it's us that get up and go to work every single day. We're caught with everything. We're caught with the USC charges. We're caught with high mortgage rates. If you have children, you're caught with high childcare costs. And just because we have a home, people don't see the real struggle. I know when they're giving the 200 euro to everyone, we will uh, get it. But if they decided to mean tested for example we may have been just outside of the limit and wouldn't have received it and we need it says Emma as much as everybody else that's the squeezed middle that you hear about and Emma is right that squeezed middle are the ones who don't receive anything and that's one of the arguments put forward as to why it should be given out to every single uh, household thank you for your call uh, Emma and the people and then Mike has a different view Mike says the people who are living on an old age pension a state old age age pension. They are the ones who should receive the rebate on their electricity charges. They deserve it the most and energy is going to be even more expensive now going into the future with the trouble and what is happening in the Ukraine. Uh, well, well, Mike, I'm assuming you know that old age pensioners, every single household, I think it's two and a half million households will be receiving the €200 euro, uh, rebate. Are you saying from your texts that only old age pensioners should receive it? If you are, then you would be Emma, the example of Emma and Joan, who were saying, what about the people who, you know, who get up early in the morning and go to work every day? They are really pinned to to the collar at the moment. They're finding it very difficult uh, to live. Do they not deserve it as well? So I'm unsure if you want to clarify your text, but if you're wondering, are old age pensioners getting it? Yes, absolutely. Old age pensioners are getting it. Every single household in the country, as I say, they reckon there's 2.1 million domestic electricity account holders. So once you have an electricity account holder, you will automatically receive the 200 euro. And no, before people are asking, you don't need to apply for it. You don't need to register it for it. The very fact that you have an electricity account with any company regardless of who you get your electricity from, you will be entitled to it. And then Tara has emailed Patricia at c103.ie. This is with regard to what we mentioned with hospitality. And in particular, we were talking with Margaret looking for a chef to work in de- in a delicatessen in Mitchellstown. But that then got broadened out into the hospitality and staff trying to get staff to work in hospitality and it's affecting all areas of hospitality and because of it you have restaurants all over the country who are not able to open that normally would have opened say seven days a week not able to open seven days a week some restaurants would normally have done maybe lunch and dinner trade are now opting to only do dinner trade or only do lunch uh, trade and other businesses we know have closed and they've simply closed because they can't employ staff well Tara wants to pick up on that and what is seen as a crisis within the hospitality sector. Tara writes saying hospitality has long been one of the worst industries to work in in terms of long 
on antisocial hours and difficulty booking time off. No wonder businesses now are having difficulties attracting back those they ditched in the pandemic. Now, I think you've been a bit unfair there in saying they ditched them in the pandemic. They didn't have any choice. Their business is closed. But anyway, back to Tara's email. I am so hopeful that this staffing difficulty will mark a real change within the hospitality industry and business owners might start to see their employees as people with a right to live and enjoy their lives rather than expecting 60 hour working weeks with antisocial and changeable hours and difficulty booking off even their statutory holidays, not to mention the low rates of pay, lack of pension and sick pay. It's been a joke. I really hope it's going to change. And I'm assuming Tara has somebody who in the past has worked in the hospitality uh, sector. And listen, absolutely, it can be very antisocial hours if you're working, for example, maybe in, in a hotel or in a restaurant that has meals at night. It can be absolutely very antisocial hours. And I don't know about how badly paid uh, people are because certainly at the moment with the shortage of staff I think employees now are certainly able to up what they would have got paid before because there is such a need for staff. Thank you for your email, uh, Tara to Patricia at c103.ie. And then Mary has contacted us and this is to do with the Tomb Babies. Now, I know I was speaking to John Paul in the office and we were hoping to try and get a chat this week with uh, Catherine Corliss because finally the bill has gone through which will allow for the babies, particularly in the septic tank in in the two mother and baby home to be exhumed, examined and then given a proper Christian burial and of course that bill that went through will cover all of the sites where there were mother and baby homes. Well Mary is picking up on that topic and said Patricia I listened to Minister Roderick O'Gorman the Minister for Children because he's responsible for passing this bill outline the proposal to excavate the site and exhume all of the remains at the two mother and baby home and indeed all of the sites. I wonder says Mary, am I the only person who thinks that perhaps this is not such a good idea? Where will it all end? Are we going to dig up all such sites in the country? This this has never been done anywhere else. Indeed, those homes and workhouses were in places, for example, all over the UK since the 1900s. And it's scarcely ever discussed in the media over there, much less the idea of exhumations. Thousands of children died in endemic poverty, both in this country and indeed all over the world. They died in tenements during these years from infectious diseases diseases, from measles, no antibiotics, poor nutrition. I think a memorial garden should be put in place and that the millions that will be used on the exhumation and examination of the remains could instead be used for today's children. The ones, for example, that are living with scoliosis and other urgent medical conditions. Thanking you, says uh, Mary. I I certainly know Catherine Corliss wouldn't agree with you, Mary. And family members who had babies buried. I think the tomb mother and baby one and I suppose when you also think of Besborough in Cork there's you know there's a field there with unmarked graves where they believe there were babies buried there. I think for family members there are family members living who know that they have a relative who would have been a little baby who died and they just want to know where the babies are what they I don't know if they'll be able to find out what they died of but they also want a Christian burial I mean I don't think anybody would, would like the idea that babies who were just for whatever reason and I'm assuming it was cost at the time on behalf of the nuns even though they were being paid for all of those those mums that went into to the mother and baby home they were paid 
from the state for for the care of all of them, even though many of them didn't get the proper care that they should have been given. But I don't think anybody would want them remaining in a septic tank. There's just something very wrong. I mean, I, I don't even like the idea of anyone being buried in an unmarked grave. I mean, weren't we only talking with Alice Leahy about the homeless men in who died from Poland and, you know, only that she got involved and got a priest involved. They would have just been buried with, you know, no pomp, no ceremony, nothing and just put in the ground in an unmarked grave. But Alice said they're going to do something to make sure that the graves are marked. I think it's just, it's something we've always done in this country. We 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 bury, you know, we don't we always say that we do funerals right and there's there's respect for the people that have passed away and they deserve a Christian burial and I think they deserve to have a little headstone to say even if they only lived some of them for maybe an hour so they're not deserved to be recognised I don't know I, and, and I know exactly where you're coming from in how much of all how much is all of this going to cost when we have children today who are living with scoliosis and are living in agony and of other conditions that need to be dealt with so I can see your argument uh, as well anyway I don't know if you're on your own or not so we'll give it out to see are you on your own uh, is Mary the only person thinking that it's a waste of money and instead just put up some little memorial to acknowledge the fact that these babies once lived and uh, re- remember them that way. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. The Inchidani Island Lodge and Spa. They're holding a recruitment open day. Now it's going to be held next Sunday. Internal Sales Administrator is wanted for a fast paced veterinary wholesale environment that's based in Mallow. CVs please to Douglas at acravat.ie. Pilgrim's Restaurant, they're based in Moscarby. They're looking for a kitchen porter, 086 456 4114. And a teleporter driver is wanted to work in the Ringeskindy area. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now Mary O'Halloran, the 84-year-old pensioner who this month was subjected to an aggravated burglary at her brother Jerry's house in which the thief fled with their life savings, has issued a public appeal for information and a bid to solve the case. Mary spoke uh, this week once again to Paul Byrne, the Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media News. And uh, Paul joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. Paul, every time I see Mary either on the news with you or I even just see a picture of her little face in the paper, she breaks my heart. How How is she doing? You know, she's a very frail elderly lady um, she's 83, um, but you know what? She's a tower of strength. She's an incredible woman. Um, she's she's a tiny, and I say this with respect now because people have seen her. She's, she she kind of has a smile as well. We have a little giggle as well herself, myself, we, you know. And I, I said, this is the first time I feel tall standing next to somebody. She's so small, and she laughs, so I'm not saying anything disrespectful to her. You know, um, I said, you're, at last you're making me feel like a man, I'm tall. But she, she laughs and she, she's lovely, but she's, she's hurting then as well at the same time. Um, 
you know, as you said, it's, what is it, nearly 12 days now since the, um, the attack. Um, her brother, Jerry, remains in hospital. He's in the orthopedic hospital here in Cork. Um, he doesn't want to go home to the house in Boyce Street where they were held at knife point. Um, it's very important that he finds somewhere else to live. Like, she's in Ballyfehan. He's in Boyce Street, which is off Blarney Street. And she's making a trip there most days. She gets into a taxi. She goes up to the house. She checks for post. She calls down to the hospital and drops in some clothing to him. Or if she can get in to see him, she'll stay with him for as long as she can. And they also have a sister who has special needs. And she's in her 60s. And I called to Mary the morning before last. And we, we, we were doing an interview again at the house in Boyce Street. And I called to the house in Ballyfehan to collect her and her sister is Betty Betty's carer wasn't coming in that day her home help and Mary had to dress her sister that morning before she went off to do the interview and to then go up to the house in Boyce Street to check for mail and to get clothes for Jerry I mean what this woman is doing a team of bloody soldiers couldn't do it she's, she's incredible she, 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 and as you say when you look at her she's a, a frail little woman who should be looked after and instead she's this powerhouse she's the full time carer obviously for Betty and then she's yeah. been and she'd been because when she called to Jerry's house that morning at like half seven in the morning she was going to check up on him wasn't she she was you know like I, I know now I, I'm, I'm a long time in this job right but I have a pain in my stomach talking about it this morning. And that's no exaggeration. I have a, a, a nerve jumping up and down. I'm so upset. And I think the nation have been totally taken aback by this and rocked that something so dreadful could happen to two of our older citizens. I know Fergus Finley came out the other day and he was given out to the media for saying elderly and frail. But that's what they are. That's yeah. the reality she's of a, it. She's 83. She's 83 yeah. years of age yeah. as a full-time carer uh, to her sister and also trying to keep a check on and she's the older because Jerry's in his late 70s 79 or something and she's trying exactly. to Exactly and, and Jerry had a stroke a couple of years ago oh. as well and his speech is very bad I mean this family have had it rough um, none of the three are married are ma- were married are married um, Mary herself worked in the Imperial Hotel washing cups and sauces and dishes from a very very young age many many moons ago she then went on to work in the laundry in the St. Finbar's Hospital for 31 years. She has been grafting, I'd say, for, since the day she was born. And now when she should be able to enjoy some kind of peace at the end of her life, she's still got these caring roles. And then for this awful event uh, to, to happen, it's just... And it's, it's almost like... Because you can hear it when she, when she speaks to you, Paul. It's, it's really knocked her confidence. Big time. I mean, when I met her first the day after the, the attack, she she was able to tell us exactly what happened. How she called to the house and she couldn't get in and she called out to Jerry, what's wrong with the door? Jerry shouted back, I'm being locked up, get someone to get the guards, there's a man in here. She then was dragged into the house by that bastard who held them at knife point. Um, she gave as good as she got, really. She tried to shout back at him and said, you know, he was demanding the money. She said, I'm not giving you the money. And then he grabbed everything they had. Um, but, you know, she, she she has been through hell. And as I said, that day she was able to tell us exactly what happened. 
I suppose she was still wound up. But the other day, and I, I'm, I'm in constant contact with her by phone. Well I call done. her maybe well once done. or twice a day just to see how she's getting on. But she started to freeze and to seize up. And she doesn't want to talk, talk about it anymore. I think it's really hitting her. Yeah. And really what she said the other day is that, you know, she doesn't want to talk about it. She just wants that man caught. It's almost, it's almost like if he could be caught, it'll give her some, some, some bit of peace, I think. Is, is, is that what she's hoping from it? I think so, because like she said, all she wants is for him to be caught and that jury to get a new host because he's too afraid to get back, to go back to the host. And I think she will feel a little bit safer in herself knowing that this guy could be behind bars. Um, if you were watching the report the other night, you would have seen that they know who did it. There is a person of interest. That's how they describe it. The, yeah, the suspect, the, the person of interest. But basically, they have a name. Okay. And this fella is gone to ground. And there's a possibility that he's actually gone out of the country. Oh. But these people, they have to come up for air at some stage. And he will surface. And I know, by God, tell, I can tell you this. The guards are doing everything possibly that, poss- that they possibly can to get this guy um, into custody. And, you know, their life-saving, it was like 1,800 euro was, all, was, was their life-saving. Like. He had 800 euro inside in the house, Jerry, and she had 1,000 euro inside in her handbag when she called. And I said, Mary, what in the name of Christ are you doing with 1,000 pounds? Or, sorry, 1,000 euro in your, in your handbag. And she said, oh, I was going shopping for a few messages after looking after Jerry. I say she takes a few bob with, with her. With her, wherever she goes. God yeah. help her. Now, the, the, on a positive, the GoFundMe uh, page, uh, her, her reaction to that, the, was it over 30,000 for herself and Jerry? Yeah, I, you know, I don't think she understands. Does she? <laughs> no. Um, like, there was two paramedics who were so touched by what they came across that they went off, they put up the photographs of Mary and Jerry inside in the hospital. They set up a target of €5,000 and they capped it at 30 eventually. They stopped it at 30 And I reckon if they had been going to this day, they'd be up to about 100000 so at well. this stage, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Because we can all put ourselves into that situation. You know, it could be your mother, your father, your uncle or auntie, your granddad and grandmother, whatever. And people really wanted to dig deep and help them out. But they said, look, they hold it off at 30 because they, I'm not saying anything that wasn't said already, but they're now saying, oh, Jesus, if everybody now knows that Mary and Jerry could have 30 grand inside in the bank. But oh, no. somebody will have to kind of come along and say, if they go to take out money, look, Mary, you can take 50 quid or 100 quid. Yeah, what do you, so she, yeah. Like she's entitled to take what she wants yeah. once the money's in her account. But she needs to be protected. Exactly. Yeah, Somebody she needs to be. To and I saw Paddy O'Brien, the wonderful Paddy O'Brien, a, a great advocate for older people, uh, chat with you. Is there talks that Jerry will get a house? Ideally, I take it in Ballyfahan to be near Mary. Well, that's where the family were. Uh, they're from the south side, and that's where Mary and uh, Betty are living at the moment in, 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 in Ballyfahan. So they'd love to have him um, close to them. Yeah. You know, as I said, like she's getting into a taxi every morning, well, most mornings, and going up there. So she could be spending 30 quid a day on taxis yeah. um, just to, to go up and check the house. And So he has to get a house, I think, somewhere in the south side. And he's been on the housing waiting transfer list, I think, up, up, up in Boyce Street for five years. Look, 
this man, this is a priority in my mind. And I know reporters have to sit on the fence, but I think nobody can ignore the fact that something so dreadful happened and we have to look after them, really. I hope the authorities and Paddy O'Brien, as you said, in fairness to him, he's working around the clock to try and secure better and safer and accommodation closer to um, his sisters. Yeah. And... Um, and I just say one thing there in fairness to the paramedics and I must give them credit and then they should be name-checked. Uh, Sean Healy and Keith Harrington, they're the two paramedics who, who were called to the scene to treat Mary and Jerry at the scene and then took them to the hospital. Yeah, like, great. I know these paramedics come across this desperate incidents day after day but this one, well, like, thankfully there was no loss of life. They recovered but it really hurt them to see the, the people and the condition that they were in that morning, you know. You know, you just look at them and they, as you say, they could be your mother, your father, your granny, your, your your grandfather. And just to finish off, Paul, I mean, you're, uh, if you don't mind me saying, a hardened hack. You've been in this business a long time and you've spoken to people from princes to pauper. So you've seen all mm-hmm. sections of society. Have you any understanding of why that guy would have done what he did to, to Mary and Jerry? I'm going to put uh, my neck in the line here but I reckon it was drugs oh, half seven in the morning um, is that the face of addiction yeah fellas are strung out and they're looking for money because guys who are strung out want to get their next fix or they could owe money to the dealer and if you don't have your money to the dealer you won't um, get your fix or if you owe them there's, there's lives being threatened I mean I was talking to a guy before Christmas he owed 600 quid and he was. He said, "Paul, I'm dead within 24 hours if I don't come up with." It. And he wasn't exaggerating. They will take lives, you know. And it, because if if I owe a dealer say 600 quid, and you owe the dealer 600 quid, if they take me out, well, then you know, Christ, these guys mean business. Mm. And they do. They like if they're not killed, they get the head beaten off them. They're kicked around the place. They're hammered. You know, they get put into the boot of a car, taken from A to B and get beaten around the place, you know, hit with baseball bats, iron bars, whatever the case may be. So this guy was obviously under savage pressure either to get a fix or to get money to get a fix, you know, or to, to pay off a dealer, yeah. whatever. But he was under, you know, he, he was he was psyched up. He could have been coming down off a, off a high and needed to get his next fix. It's just, and I, I, I would put my money on it, that it was all drug-related. Scourge of drugs. Listen, when you're next talking with Mary, pass on our, our best wishes. And she's got so many people thinking of her, uh, not just across Cork City and County, but I think all over the country. I think people country, are just, yeah, yeah. Totally yeah. touched by this story. Yeah, yeah. unreal. Listen, uh, Paul, thanks a million. Thanks a million. You're doing great work. And thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning thanks. to you. That is uh, Paul Byrne, who is the Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media News. 0818 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And we're off to Fomoy Garda Station where I'm joined by Sergeant John Kelly for this week's Garda File. Good morning to you, John. Good morning. Uh, and you're very Good welcome. Glad to report no burglaries. So we don't have any burglaries looking for listeners' help uh, with. But what you do want to alert people to is uh, counterfeit notes, which is something we haven't, I think, featured on the programme in quite a while. 
we haven't had it for quite a while. Um, overall, crime in general is uh, is uh, very quiet at the moment, uh, thankfully. Um, but for people just to keep their eyes open, you know, there can be still, shall we say, surveillance done as regards crime gangs, you know, looking for opportunities. So just for people to keep their eyes open. And if they see anything suspicious, they give us a ring, their local guard station, whichever would be the nearest 24-7 guard station. Um, so again, counterfeit notes, yeah, we haven't seen it with a while. Um, you'd see it occasionally. Um, but in this particular case, there was a number over the last week turned up there in Kentuck, Newmarket, in a number of premises. Um, now, following, I suppose, uh, uh, the guards were following a couple of lines of inquiry. A search warrant was obtained uh, and a property was searched in the Kentuck, Newmarket area. Um, by colleagues there from both stations and um, and no, quite a quantity of uh, forged currency, currency was found and the person was was arrested um, a file has been prepared in that particular matter. Good quality? So that, uh, I haven't seen the quality myself okay. so I can't, couldn't really comment but uh, if people as regards it's a good thing to sit down with your staff from time to time you know uh, people in retail and just go through the, the actual uh proper uh, identity of what, uh, you know, of our currency as regards, you know, the fact, one telling thing with, with currency is the fact that uh, it's a type of ink on it that it never dries. So if you rub the ink, a quick check, you know, rub the ink on, on, a, on an A4, uh, on a blank A4, and you can see some of the ink actually transfers to, to the blank A4. You know, there's plenty of other checks. Go onto the central bank website, and if you go onto that, you'll find all the different security features. You know, go through them one by one. Generation, the second generation of uh, Euro bank notes uh, were rolled out there in the last few years, and you can see those increases uh, security features on them. You know, um, there was just holograms on the generation one, on the generation two notes. You know, there's actually a window, you know, a transparent window that you can see through, through them as well. So go through it. It's worthwhile to do because we find from time to time, uh, you know, uh, busy times of the year, particularly bars, restaurants can be targeted as well. So for people just to be aware of that. Because we probably have some of the best security features on our notes that, than we ever had. I would totally agree with that. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, to be fair, you, you know, the European Central Bank, you know, has really their notes that I suppose have been copied by other countries because of the the different security, you know, that's on them, you know. Um, but fewer and fewer will be the opportunities, I suppose, in the future. Uh, to pass to, a dud note. To pass them but I think in bars, restaurants, people are just tapping with their cards yeah, or yeah. You know, using a Visa card. You know? Absolutely. But, but an issue we've been only talking about this morning on the programme is staff shortages in so many industries, particularly in retail and in hospitality. And because of that, a lot of businesses are employing you know, young people who are still in, in school, students. And criminals yeah. have a tendency, they'll know the weaker member of staff or the newer member of staff and they'll try and target target them? Uh, you're 100% right, yeah. They'll know them straight away. Um, and uh, they, they will go for them in the, in the fact that they hope the, the transaction will go through. Um, I saw in the past there a gang that was operating out of Dublin at the time. This is going back a number of years ago. It would have been on the programme at the time. And Sunday was a preferred day of walking. Saturday and Sunday for them because they tended to find 
that uh, maybe college students working in uh, retail settings, you know, in garages and the like, you know, and the shops that are attached to forecourts, you know, and they were able to pass stuff more easily or get away with, you know, fraudulent transactions, you know. Um, there was one uh, as well, I thought, for retailers to be very careful of it uh, in, in, in the recent past, uh, where... Um, People, a person came into a, a shop. Now, this wasn't in, in, in Cork. This was in one of our neighbouring counties in Munster. But basically, they got quite a number of, a uh, couple of thousand of goods inside in the shop. But what they did was, they didn't have their card with them. Uh, and they purported that they had left it behind and that somebody suddenly, uh, would, they just got a photograph then sent on to them of their card. Now, that's card not present. I don't care whether it's a photograph or not. The actual card is not present. It turned out then that the, the, it was there was dispute in, in, involved as regards whether uh, the person that actually owned the card said, "Well, we never authorized authorized those payments." So for people in retail, that's a new one. That's very a new careful. One. Yeah, yeah, it's a new one. And also yeah. another one that Amazon thing is still going around. A uh, person down in the all there last week, phone call from purporting from Amazon, claiming that seventy nine ninety nine was going on their card uh, to press one to cancel the transaction. Uh, they pressed one and they were put onto a, an operator, and they must have given uh, some some details, but there was money to, uh, taken from from their account. Well, I saw I the Central the Statistics Office. Their two year uh, review was out this week, and they were saying that the pandemic led to a massive surge in people falling victim to fraud scams online or over the phone. So that you know that doesn't surprise. Uh, I you. would agree. I would yeah. agree. Locally, you could see that statistic was standing out, and I suppose as well as that, it, the pandemic led to. Uh, new people who had never done a lot of online uh, transactions. You know, they were new to the whole thing and they weren't as well versed as uh, kind of seasoned online shoppers, you know. So they, they, they maybe some of them fell for it more easily, you know. Yeah, just be careful, just be careful. They they, they uh, certainly haven't gone away. Now, we've wo- we woke to dreadful weather conditions uh, this morning and I can already see it was nice and bright a few minutes ago, but looking out the window now, it's gone very dull, very dark and it looks like it's about to uh, snow again. Uh, weather conditions while driving? Well, for people to be just very, very careful at the moment. We're after a, a period of very windy weather as well. Now, there's still branches down around the country. There could be still trees and there could be still poles that that are literally very unsound after being the, after the high winds that could come down at a moment's notice. So that danger isn't gone away, you know, as regards branches getting stuck in wheels and and everything. So be very, very careful about the road verges and driving, and particularly on country roads. You know, there could be a branch. It's broken in a few days. It's still hanging on, and that's the moment it comes down. So for people just to be very, very aware of that. Okay, and uh, um, the guard the recruitment campaign. We're seeing the ads uh, for it on TV. Yeah. Could I just mention there, Patricia, uh, just briefly about the Gallery Recruitment Campaign, people 18 to 35, uh, you know, all the detail, details are on publicjobs.ie. So go on to publicjobs.ie if you or anybody in your family has has interest. Um, and it's open until 16th of March. So all the details are there, okay. publicjobs.ie. And you're, you're close enough to come to the end of your uh, career. When you, when you look back, do you, do you have any regrets in joining? I personally have no regrets in no. joining. I enjoyed my time, but uh, I suppose you know uh, we are entering a different period. Um, uh, I suppose every 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 job goes through a period of renewal. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and there's a constant uh, renewal in every organisation. You know, but um, you know, I, I suppose it's 
you know, for people do, to do their research, no matter what job they do. Because do they are, they're research. very much looking for diversity and for females to apply. There's a real push towards diversity as well, isn't there? There's a real push uh, towards that this time, you know, I suppose to reflect uh, the changing uh, the changing scene in Irish society. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're yeah. a much different society to when I joined in. Uh, back in 1982, you know, we've changed completely, you know. Okay. And um, I, I suppose, like every organisation, we're trying to reflect the diversity of the society that exists today. Okay. All right, John. Listen, thank you for that. We'll speak again, but thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Sergeant John Kelly, uh, based out of Fomoygar. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. More commentary coming in about the situation that's unfolding in the Ukraine with the Russian invasion uh, overnight. Eddie said, where are all those people who over the years have protested outside of various uh, embassies? Why are we not outside the Russian embassy this morning? And actually I saw somebody else who reckons that the Russian ambassador should be kicked out of this country and indeed every other uh, European uh, country. And uh, Michael says, Patricia Boris Johnson in in the England is addressing the nation all about war and there isn't one word about COVID. I'm afraid that COVID will become like the trolleys. We haven't heard of them since COVID came on the scene. They vanished but now they appear to be popping up again. This war in the Ukraine will bring a severe dose of reality to a lot of people. The coming hours and days will speak uh, volumes. It will indeed and let's hope that it can be ended uh, sooner rather than later. And then a couple of people are commenting on Mary who sent in a WhatsApp earlier on who was talking about the changes that were introduced this week. Roderick O'Gorman, the Minister for Children, who has brought in a, a law now, he's passed the legislation, which will allow for the bodies to be exhumed from the mother and baby homes. In particular, obviously, Catherine Corliss has been fighting for this on behalf of the Tume mother and baby home. And Mary was making the point, uh, the amount of money that will be spent on this a programme of exhuming the bodies and then examining the bodies the coroners to get involved certainly in the tomb one the coroners getting involved and the amount of money that it's going to cost and should we instead not use that money on the living the children that are alive today and that are in need of help and build some kind of a memorial uh, instead and a number of people including Jim says I feel listening to Mary I would have to agree with her there should be some kind of a memorial garden to all of these infants at the end of the day many of these infants are now simply in dust something should be done to remember the thousands of graves in graveyards all over the country that are uh, unmarked there's also some of them in fields uh, a memorial would be uh, better. Eileen has contacted us on this uh, issue as well. Afternoon to you, Eileen. Hello, Patricia. You agree, you, you're with Mary as well on this one. You think a memorial rather than exhume the, the remains yeah, of the little babies. Like she said, where does it stop? I mean, how much are they going to spend to, uh, ex, you know, to try and exhume everybody, every child's body? So and you... And I, I used to, you know, I was telling, you know, your researcher there that 40 years ago, uh, there was a girl from Dublin who came to Besborough. She had her own car and she didn't want to stay in Besborough all the time. Yeah. So she wanted to go to a family that, you know, if she could. And then one of the nuns in the convent, somebody told her that there was this about me, that I was an orphan and midwife and that I had young children. And they contacted me and I said, yes, I would love to have her stay just a little while before she had her baby. Yeah. And she came to, she drove, you know, she drove to my house. And um, 
she had her baby and she kept her baby. And um, she, there was just one nun she didn't like, you know, in Bessborough. But like on the whole, then when she left and went back to Dublin, she kept her son and now she's a grandmother and she visits me. Nun asked me, would I take other girls, you know, just yeah. for a little while if they wanted, especially girls who were from up the country. And in about three years, I had seven come to stay with me before they had their babies and they came back after. And what era are we talking about? I'm talking about 40 years ago, uh, Patricia. Back in the 80s? Yes. Back in yes. the 80s. I'm 78 now and my son and did and about uh, Of the seven girls that came to stay with you, did they all keep their babies? No, no. 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 Um, I think there was, she was the only one, the girl from Dublin. And the rest? When, when they came to me, they got they had a kind of a chat with um, one with about seven different questions, why you should keep your baby and why adoption may be better for your baby. And they had to kind of decide on those different things for themselves. And that was with, you know, in conjunction with their parents as well. So in all cases, their family were aware of what was going on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, they were. They yeah. were. So the okay. one family, one, one girl was only 15 and she was adopted herself. And her parents came from up the country, way up the country. You see, I didn't know her real name. When she came to me, I didn't know her her name. They got a different name when they came. So that, you know. So someone would arrive and she'd just be introduced to you as, as, as Mary. Or Mary or yeah. like whatever, yeah. And, and I didn't even know, which is the girl herself confided in me then when she was here at night crying, you know, wanting to keep the baby and asking me what I thought and could I keep the baby and she'd come back years late, you know. know. They were so so vulnerable. It was unreal. And did you see them? Okay, so they they lived with you for a period of time. Just a very short time. And because I was a nurse and midwife, you know, I I mean... You were able to look after them. And and then they went to Besborough to have the baby. They went to Besborough. They were in Besborough before they came to me. And would you have seen them after they had their babies? They all came back. They all came back to thank me. They came back with bouquets of flowers and 
you know, they rang me. They asked me, could they contact me? And I said, okay, if that was okay. And I asked the sister in Besborough, was that all right for them to do that? And she said, well, when they leave Besborough, they're free. You know what I mean? They're free to do if they want to. And um, some of them did ring me. And some of them had found their children. Did you see, did all of them suffer heartbreak at giving their babies up for adoption? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was telling you, researcher, that I grew up in the country, you know, uh, know, down near Oysterhaven. And uh, there was just a family that I knew that this boy was born and his mother was married. And he had a horrific life from his grandfather because he couldn't just accept that his mother wasn't married. And I went to school with him. And he had a yeah. horrific life. I mean, it's a different you know, that's era. the way it was back then. It was awful. Yeah. It's a different era. It's, it really it's is. It's a different era, but yeah. still, it's still a stigma today, I think. Do you? I do. I do. There's a lot of couples who who opt to have their children in advance of getting married. You, you'll, you'll hear a lot. You'll hear and see a lot of that. They they consciously that, make I the know, decision. I know that too, yeah. But yeah. there's that little... It's, it's changed. I Thank mean, God it's almost changed. Almost 100% changed you know, At the end of the day, a beautiful baby is born. That's, that's all it is. That's, yeah. But that's I, think, I, I think, you know, that um, the mothers, I think if they could, you know, name the babies, maybe. Because I, I remember one time there was somebody talking about, uh, was it some association where they had miscarriages even. And they were married and they lost their children and they named that baby. They did. And they still do it today. They, 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 they do it today. They yeah, they do it. Yeah, it. you'll hear. Yeah, you'll, you'll yeah. see that. And, and uh, babies. One of, the, one of the parents who drove down from up the country, father and mother came to see their daughter. Now, she still hadn't had her baby at this stage. She was only 15. She was adopted herself. And she said, I just so want to keep my baby so badly because that, that would be my flesh, you know. I don't have any relative of my own because she was adopted. And her father actually wouldn't even come into my home. He could not bear to see his daughter pregnant. It was horrific. They came with the clothes for the baby to be adopted. Beautiful baby too. And then the baby went. And she, at night, sat by the fire with me and cried and cried. And when the baby was born, she came before the baby was born, she cried. And when she knew they wouldn't let her keep her baby... She went into mourning and I actually would give her her food and a tray in her bedroom and she'd put it under the bed. She spent about three days in mourning and I used to talk to her and she used to beg me to keep that baby. She said, I'll come back in a few years, and but I couldn't do that. It was horrific. Did you have any contact with her afterwards? I did, yes. Yeah. She found her son. Did she? she? Found her son, yeah. Did yeah. she? And was it a happy reunion? It was. She said they were on. They hadn't actually. She rang me. She was so excited. They hadn't met. But she said he sounded so lovely. And uh, they changed the name, I think. Yeah. She wanted. But anyway, she said she was so happy. And she, I lost her. Would you believe? I lost her phone number. And I just couldn't go back to Beswin and ask them for her number. Because they wouldn't have given it to you. They probably wouldn't. And no, she said, no. I would love, she said, you were so kind to me, you know, and she loved, I had children, you see, and they loved the children. And she, they were beautiful girls. They cried by the fire, the thought of giving up their baby. And I kind of, you know, sat with them and listened to them. 
And Eileen, was there any ever talk of the fathers of the babies? None, no, none of them were immaculate conceptions, like. No, the, the, the story. I have the story. It's an amazing story. The girl from Dublin didn't have her baby adopted. That girl now that had the car, and we're friends. You know, she's a grandmother now. She had a boy, and she the father t- didn't want anything to do with her. Just did, and they were knew each other for a long time. She knew his parents and everything, and she looked after. She raised him on her own. And now he's married and he has children and they co- she comes to visit me and stay with me. And um, she thought maybe that she, she got sick herself and she thought before I die, maybe I should try and get my son to meet his dad. Because he said, no, no, no. And she did. The father came and the son just wouldn't look at him. He said, my mother reared me and you walked away from her. Yeah. And she said the funny thing is that they have so much alike. You know, they play the same thing in the, the games. They had the same goal. He was a goalie. Their dad was a goalie and son is a goalie. You know what I mean? Isn't it she funny? Said, Isn't it funny? And did yeah. she go on and marry him of other children? No, she never got married. Did she not? So it was no. her one and only? Yeah, yeah, one and only. And she's grandchildren now. And the other yeah. girls, did any of them talk about the fathers? I didn't. Meet, I lost contact. You know, over the years. that's a long time ago. No, but I'm so, saying when they were with you, when they were with you, pregnant was. There oh a, no, they didn't know. They were no. kind of. I'd say probably as they used to say that back then, one night stands type thing. You know, it was just something that happened, and you know, they were so afraid. I mean, the parents even wouldn't. I'd say if the parents knew, they wouldn't have let the the their two their daughters tell the father. And of course, we're talking about an era where contraception wasn't it wasn't readily available. All right, so you believe you believe a memorial would be much more appropriate. I think, I think yeah. it would. I think it would because um, we, we spend the money on something that will kind of give more peace. Maybe I don't think exhuming a certain amount of children in one place or two places because there's so many people. I mean. I watched, you know, long lost families, you know, and the adoption stories. Yeah. There, there's so many people that were adopted that don't know and are finding out late in life. But what about families who want their babies' remains back? There are, particularly in Tume, the, the ones that are in the, the septic. I, I just can't think about I the ones that are in the septic how, tank. Yeah, but I do, there are people, I'd say, probably buried in lots of places. Like that lady said, I think that made sense to me that there are a lot of children kind of died and were forgotten. Yeah. You know, and for the parents, there's a heartbreak for the parents. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it is, you know? it is, yeah. And, no, and none of none of those mothers willingly gave those babies away and, and you no. are living proof of that. Yeah, and the one thing that I would say is that when they came back, it was a relief that it was over, but the pain that they were to have would be down the line too. I mean, every time they see somebody with a, a baby, you know, it goes on. I mean, they need a lot. I think that time there was some therapy afterwards, maybe. They were told, yeah, they were know, told, forget about it, forget about it and get on with your life. Yeah, but that you can't do that. No, no. Not even with people with miscarriage, you can't do that. 
Listen, I think you've got a book in your store in you, Eileen. You've a great story to tell and we appreciate you sharing it with us uh, today. Yeah, Thank you I for that. Thank you. Yeah. You're, you're very kind. Thanks a million. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, it's just a real insight to a different era to, to the 1980s and Eileen who took in some of the the dreaded, what were they, unmarried mothers as they were they were known. They were mothers-to-be. That's all they were. They looked like they landed on their feet though in coming into Eileen's household. It sounded like a lovely caring house. And thanks to Eileen for that. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Duke is Clonakilty. They are hosting their February lecture. It's via Zoom. It's tonight at 8 o'clock. All the information and login details are available on their website, Dukas Clonakilty, or the Dukas Clonakilty Facebook page. Kildallery Community Development, they've got their weekly lotto draw in the local community office. That's on the, today. This week's jackpot is €2,300. And Ballinhasic Community Development Association are bringing back set dancing for their Kaylee. It's on tomorrow night, Friday, half past eight in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic. Admission €10 Euro and teas will be served. And there's a couple of bingos on tomorrow night. There's bingo on in Mallow GAA Complex 815 start with a jackpot of €2,250. And Kildallery, they're continuing with their drive-in bingo. That's on in the Creamery Yard tomorrow night. And that's with an 8 o'clock start. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Garnish GAA Club in West Cork is set to hold a 24-hour event. It's to raise funds not just for the club but also for the Irish Community Air Ambulance and it's happening this weekend to discuss what is called the longest road. I'm joined by Rory O'Driscoll who is PRO of Garnish GAA Club. Good morning or good afternoon to you Rory. It's gone past 12. Good afternoon to you. Afternoon. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose start by telling me what the longest road is all about and what are the plans for this weekend. Yeah, uh, so on Saturday coming now we'll be doing a 24-hour run so starting at 6am each one of our players will be doing uh, an hour each of a run at our pitch um, all the way to 6am on Sunday morning and it's uh, as you said it's a joint fundraiser for ourselves the club and and also the Irish community or ambulance And who's drawn the short straw that has to do the run in the middle of the night? Uh, we have a few, a few hardy volunteers have already put their hands up for that. Have so they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and how are you hoping that people will support you? Uh, well, in addition to the players, we are kind of encouraging anyone in the locality, in the in our own parish and in, in, in their own BRA area, if they want to come and take part in the future, they can. So they can bring their parents, whoever, kids, and uh, they don't have to run it. We'll have a separate lane for people to walk it. So we'll have Teas and coffees, refreshments, going to have a bit of a buzz there, more of a social event. Okay, that's and, really good. Uh, anyone, also, we've like we've been people have been on to us in other areas, or who want to take part in other parts of the country. So, anyone, wherever you are in the country, if you want to take part, just do an hour of an activity, take a selfie, post it social media, tagging ourselves, Garish J, and also the ambulance, and hopefully making a small donation. Um, any link if anyone would like to donate the links are on our social media pages well done well done well done well done and you, I mean you're a pretty small club 
Did I? Did how many? How many members do you have? Well, and, yeah, we're a tiny club, really. I mean, in terms of members, we're looking at, I mean, thirty to forty, maybe, maybe forty to fifty. Depends. It varies in different years. Um, like the club, if you look at the history of the club, like we're always kind of up and down. You know, sometimes we're low, numbers are low, and other times they're up. I suppose. Like like other clubs in our situation around the country, you know, like we have to deal with a lot of rural population, yeah, a lot of falling numbers. You know, our own national school there now, like numbers have fallen uh, significantly in the last ten to fifteen years. But I suppose you just got to keep battling on with it, and and you know, doing stuff like this. You know, we like to stay active in the community. Well and, done, well uh, done, yeah. Because it is, I mean, besides it's hard to get uh, to get members into small rural clubs, but fundraising can really be a nightmare, you know, as opposed to, say, a large club that would be in the city, that would have, you know, a much bigger catchment area. It, it's tough to fundraise when you're yeah. in a rural, small rural area. It is, yeah. You know, you're kind of, I suppose you're relying on the same few people to get the message out there. Um, like, I suppose we're, we're relying big time on social media, and relying on like other like bear, there's a lot of bearer people around around the country around the world like we rely a lot on connections like that to get the word out there about these fundraisers. Because yeah, it's important that we keep these clubs going, and and I think it's lovely that you're not just doing it for yourselves; you're also doing it for the the wonderful community air ambulance that I believe you saw in action last summer. Tell me what happened. Yes, on uh, there was a another West Cork club. They were using our pitch for training and. One of their one of their lads, he got a quite a serious injury, and uh, he had to be airlifted. The their ambulance landed down on top of our pitch and took him away up to CUH. And I suppose it kind of really hit home then to the club, you know, like kind of how vulnerable we are in our area. Like, you know, look at the geography of our parish, you know, we're we're hundred miles from CUH. I mean, you're looking at about two hour trip to CUH from our parish, and you know, like the. The importance of their ambulance, the place like alleys and places like Bearage or can't be understated. Yeah, and, uh, and that's, a, that's a two-hour trip if you don't meet any traffic delays along the way. Yeah. And you're thinking of somebody very seriously injured every bump that you go over on the road. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and what, the ambulance probably get there, what, in 30 minutes? Uh, possibly around that, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, brilliant. It's, it's, it's such a vital service for us and... Um, when we kind of, when we were kind of, because we did this event last year, and we actually did it for with in conjunction with our local hospital, Castle on there, Saint Joseph. So when we were kind of trashing out ideas to do with it, do it with this year, so like they kind of sprung to mind, and I think it's important as well, you know, to raise awareness about them, because a lot of people, you know, they hear about their ambulance, but they don't really know a lot about it. So a lot of people know, don't know like the fact that they're they're not funded by the government, they they rely wholly on public donations and fundraisers like this. Yeah, I think it's only when we talk about it that people, that when you say that, that this, it, it is, that's why it's called the Community Air Ambulance. It is a charity. If they don't raise yes. the money, they can't put that helicopter up into the sky. Yeah, and you know, like they have significant funds. I mean, uh, like it costs around three and a half grand for them just to carry out an operation. Also, like, you know, they rely on the goodwill of the public not to spy them with this money. Yeah, and there was, I think it was, it was nearly 10. Uh, incidents a week uh, last year that they that they they yeah. went to it was and it was over at five hundred uh, times they were tasked to go and that's you know that can be the difference between life and death for some parent for some patients but it also can be the difference between how serious your injuries are and your recovery period we all know you know the golden hour that we talk about it's to get to hospital as quickly as possible yeah exactly yeah.
definitely. Okay, so all systems go for your 24 hours, the longest road, uh, Garnish GAA Club. Are you doing the run yourself, Rory? I am, yeah. Yeah, I'm only, I can't get over, I'm only 23, so I'm, I'm, doing, a, I'm doing a bit of a graveyard shift myself as well. What, so, what, um, go on, what, what are you doing? I, I'm going to do the one to two in the morning. So <laughs> a one to two isn't too bad because you can I stay. Not, no. <laughs> you can stay up and go to bed. It's it's the ones from three o'clock in the morning onwards. They're the hardy so, souls. But listen, yeah, yeah. Was, good luck. Yeah, good luck with much. it, and it's it's brilliant. Listen, we wish you the best of luck. Thanks for joining us, Rory. Bye uh, bye. Good afternoon to you, Rory O'Driscoll there, PRO uh, from Garnish GAA uh, Club. And I love if when, particularly when we can help out a small uh, club like that, you know, who have, have to fight so hard just to keep going because of rural depopulation and less and less people available to join the club. And when they try and do a bit of fundraising, it can be really, really difficult. So good luck to everybody taking part in the longest road, Garnish GAA Club from 6 a.m. on. Saturday morning until 6am on Sunday morning so if you're uh, down around the Beira Peninsula the club is located at the western tip of the Beira Peninsula in the parish of Alihis why not pop along and uh, support them because for the club to keep going the fundraising is important but also for the wonderful community air uh, ambulance it uh, really is uh, terrific uh, well done 0818103103 you can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103 now just to catch up with some of your texts coming into the programme this morning there was a texter in earlier I don't know if I can find it or not I'm sure it was from Colm Colm was on about that he likes to do the lotto every week in his local bookmaker and was I aware that the government were trying to stop the local book bookies doing the national lottery and I was actually I'd say we're going to be hearing a lot more about this particular issue from tomorrow onwards because it's been discussed today in the uh, Senate the, the Senator today it's a private members bill that's been, been put forward by three Fine Gael Senators and they want to ban the practice whereby you can go into your local bookies and place a bet on the numbers that are drawn in the national lottery the the members of the Senate want to introduce an amendment to the National Lotteries Act, which would prohibit the use of the National Lottery or its products in betting offers by entities other than the National Lottery. Now, since the foundation of the National Lottery, which has been in place since the 1980s, punters have been able to put bets on the outcome of the draw by going into their local bookmakers. And the example that I read about in the papers today, a bet which w- where you would go in and you'd pick three numbers that would come out in the National Lottery draw. You would have won €9 euro and the maximum ticket price would have been €4 euro if you did it traditionally with the National Lottery. However, if you went in and put a one euro bet on three numbers in your bookies, you could come out with anything from 330 euro up to 400 euro. So the the odds are much better and you have a much better chance of winning bigger amounts of money by placing a bet in the betting shop rather than placing a bet on a traditional lottery ticket. And the chances of winning the lottery, of course, were brought into sharp focus at this year when we had no jackpot uh, winner. What did it go on for? There was 60 draws before we finally gave away that over €19 million. Euro. Now, the key issue around this bill is not the likelihood of winning, but it's rather that the money which is spent betting on the national lottery in bookmakers does not have a social dividend and doesn't support good causes. The licensed operator, our national lottery, we know it's run by a Canadian firm called Premier Lotteries. 
and they, by law, must allocate 65% of the gross revenue from gambling, which is the total ticket money minus the prize money. 65% of that must go to good causes every year. And we all know that many great causes in this country benefit everything from sports uh, teams, uh, community groups, heritage uh, groups, lots and lots of really good organisations that wouldn't have any access to money except what they get from the National Lottery. So we know the plus side of the, uh, the National Lottery. And the idea behind this amendment is is to try to, they reckon what's happening because people go into betting shops and pay money into a betting shop instead. It's diverting money away from good causes. And I quote from one of the senators, it goes into the belly of profit-making companies instead. Now, seemingly a government now gets, is getting discussed at the Senate uh, today. It's at the Senate uh, stage, this bill. Uh, a, a government spokesperson said that it will not oppose the bill at committee stage, but they do say that there are complex legal matters in relation to this issue. So it's not just going to be as easy as the Senate side signing it off and the Dáil signing it off. Now, Paddy Powers, bookmaker, they said our, our numbers product, that's what they call it, has been offered at the Paddy Powers shops for almost 30 years. The success of the National Lottery during this time suggests that our products are distinct and they can exist side by side. A spokesperson for the Irish Bookmakers Association said the bill would represent a loss in consumer choice and uh, they also said it would be a loss to the revenue because obviously they pay money to uh, revenue and a potential loss they're saying that there could be hundreds of jobs I mean, I don't know how a betting shop would close just because the the lottery is gone. And of course, even if this bill is introduced and there is a ban placed on you putting a bet on the lottery in the betting shops, it's not to say that people instead then will divert the money they would have spent in the bookies and spend it on the national lottery instead. But their feeling is that some of that money would go back into the lottery and therefore would ultimately end up with good causes. Anyway, Colm has always bet in the in the bookies on the National Lottery and he says over the years he's won substantial sums of money whereas whenever he's played the National Lottery he's never won anything. He reckons the most he's ever won is €3 Euro by doing it with the National Lottery. Now I, I have to say hand in heart I've never done it to the bookies. I know friends of mine who do it all the time and say it's a great way and I've heard of people of having you know winning two, three, four hundred euro on three numbers and they wouldn't get anything like that if they won on the National National, national National Lottery itself. So I don't know are many of our listeners, do you use the betting shops and how would people feel about it? Are, are these senators right that we should stop it and that the money is going into all of those betting shops like Paddy Powers, all the rest of them, they're just all profit-making companies and that the National Lottery at the end of the day, 65% of the gross revenue minus the prizes does go to good causes and anything that we can do to push more money to good causes has got to be welcomed. Your thoughts welcomed on that 0818-103-103. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. One of your final uh, texts coming in, somebody says, Hi Patricia, I prefer to do my lottery at the local bookies because, yes, the odds are better. And let Paddy Power go on holiday with my Euro, says Kat. I don't really care. <laughs> Thanks for that, Kat. As I say, I think this is an issue we may pick up again tomorrow. 
Marcus think there'll be a lot more on this particular issue after it gets discussed at the Senate uh, today. And hi Patricia, I'd like to wish Rory O'Driscoll, who you just spoke to from uh, Garnish Island GAA, the best of luck with their fundraiser. What a great lad. And that's from the gang at uh, Illin Rovers GAA Club. Thank you for that. A couple of texts in on this squeezed middle that we referenced earlier on, including Heidi says, good morning Patricia, it is true that the middle income households are the ones that are really being forgotten about in this country. They're the ones that get up every single day and go out to work. Some of them have children in university or college and they have to pay for all of their needs including their accommodation and fees. They get absolutely no help. They might be just over the limit to be entitled to a grant. Plus all the other bills that come in to running a house now with higher prices on all goods plus the increase in fuels. This has to be said. How in God's name can they keep finding more money to pay for all of this? It really is outrageous. It's no wonder people are leaving the country as the cost of living here just seems to go up and up and up. All we do is pay out hand over fist. The government has to step in to help people. Uh, Even just one by cutting taxes for fuels and carbon tax. I'm sure you yourself have noticed the rise in prices I have and we've and I've been I've been mentioning it I think every Monday when I come back on it's probably one of the things I mention. I do my big shop on a Saturday every single week, certainly since Christmas. You can't help but notice everything you're picking up seems to have gone up in price. Thanks for that Heidi and a text in saying hopefully now people will understand better what it's like to live on a social welfare payment. I get paid on a Tuesday by the time rent ESB coal, logs, shopping is done I'm completely broke on Friday people that have jobs are the lucky ones, it's when I go shopping and I see trolleys full and people paying by card that it really hits at me but God is good he provides me when I badly need help, I'm thankful for uh, that, I really enjoyed your interview with the lady from Bernardo's Susan Connolly, she should be on more uh, often. So that's where I leave you for today, my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you for the final one of the week tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock on to the line Patricia Messenger very good afternoon Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk to cmig.ie Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.